It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Sunday, January 14th, 2024. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. And so it begins. The 2024 cycle officially kicks off with the first presidential nominating contest in Iowa, where Republicans will caucus Monday evening in below freezing temperatures. Negative two is just another Monday in January for Iowans. Unless that changes to have a heavy snowfall uh, on top of the sub-zero temperatures, I don't foresee that being an issue with caucus turnout. And with former President Trump dominating, the drama may be in the race for second. Donald Trump's supporters are more committed than DeSantis and, and, and Haley's supporters, if you believe the numbers. But at the same time, his base of support is especially concentrated throughout the small counties and the rural parts of Iowa, which may, you know, much of the state. But you may have to take more time to get to a caucus site if you're further outside the city. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Republicans will gather at caucus locations set up for 1,600 precincts Monday, and after listening to speeches by each campaign's supporters, voters will write down the name of the person they like best. Those names get counted up by hand on site. The numbers are called into the state party, but they're also entered into an app that's viewed by the state party. Iowa Republican Party Chair Jeff Kaufman says their systems have worked throughout the years, that it's the Democrats who've had more issues. He says in 2012, when it was a tight Republican race between Mitt Romney and Rick Santorum, the mistakes that were made didn't relate to their systems. Turned out Santorum had won, but he didn't get that full Iowa momentum. Romney really got it. Kaufman, who's been the Iowa GOP chair for a decade now, says during the events he's gone to, he's seen more people than ever say they will caucus for the first time Monday, and that Iowans are driven by a mix of things. The candidates themselves wanting to vote against Biden, but also some of the issues. And while former President Trump tops polling, he's urging his supporters not to bank on anything, to get out and caucus. But with a high temperature of below zero degrees, will they? Negative two is just another Monday in January for Iowans. Jimmy Sanders is a former aide to Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds and is now principal with the public relations and strategic communications firm Cornerstone. Uh, so unless that <laughs> forecast changes uh, to where uh, we're getting... It's going to be too cold to get ice, um, uh, but uh, unless that changes to have a heavy snowfall uh, on top of the sub-zero temperatures, I don't foresee that being an issue with caucus turnout. Iowans are hardy, and we take our responsibility kicking off the presidential nominating contest very seriously. Um, I think you're seeing that right now, uh, even after a foot of snow in Des Moines. Uh, people are still turning out to hear candidates, um, and they're they're doing that across the state of Iowa. Uh, and come Monday night, um, they'll brave the cold and head to their local community center or a local high school, middle school, uh, to caucus for their candidate of choice. Okay, so right, it's, it, it's the cold you can deal with. It's if there's a storm. It sounds like, um, and I think yeah, that just makes getting, really getting from point yeah. A to point B, a little bit more challenging. Uh, but but cold, it's something we live with every winter. So I, <laughs> I wouldn't consider it a big deterrent. 
Okay, so let's talk about how a caucus works, right? Because on the Democrat side, we're used to seeing people like shuffle to one corner of the room. And then if you, your guy doesn't get 15%, you go to the other side of the room. And, and with the Republicans, that's not how it works, right? You're just, you write down on a ballot or a piece of paper, you count up the votes by hand, it sounds like. And the only technology, I guess, being used as a reporting app to the state party, but, but there's a hand count and a paper trail as a backup. It sounds like relatively low tech. I guess what are the the possible issues that you could foresee cropping up, maybe a close race between DeSantis and Haley, one or both demanding like a recount, like what, what I guess are you thinking logistically in terms of the possibilities? The Republican caucus in Iowa is perhaps the most transparent election held in the country. And here's why. Uh, caucus goers on caucus night will be asked um, at the beginning of the caucus, to write down on a piece of paper their candidate of choice. Now, some locations might have a, um, a piece of paper with candidates listed and you check a box, but generally speaking, you're writing or checking a box on a piece of paper for the candidate of your choice, or you know, and you can write in any candidate. You could write in Mickey Mouse if you wanted to. <laughs> um, then uh, every single campaign is allowed to have a representative observe the counting and tabulations of all of the ballots. Um, and so for campaigns um, or individuals aligned with a campaign uh, that are interested, they may go up with the caucus chair and watch all of the ballots being uh, tabulated. Uh, those results are then read aloud for everyone to hear in the caucus room. So you will know, um, you know, roughly 15 minutes or so after your precinct uh, casts its ballot, uh, who won your uh, your caucus? Unlike the Democrats in past years, you are not uh, realigning. Every vote counts here. And so if a candidate gets only a handful of votes, that's what they get. There is no you know, viability threshold or anything. Those results then that were just read aloud are then either entered into an app to the Iowa GOP. They can also be called in. And those are done again, that's done again in front of the entire room. Then there is a website uh, that the Iowa GOP will update in real time as those results come in for everyone to see. And if you're sitting in that room and then want to check the app or the website uh, to see the results and, and double check that the same results that were read aloud that you observed the count of are then properly posted online, you may do that as well. Um, and so. Point. This is an extremely transparent process, um, and the fact that you don't have some sort of you know math equations and realignments to figure out viability and allocation of delegates, um, those types of things make it far simpler um, than uh, the, the past Democratic caucuses uh, that a lot of people talk about. Jimmy, tell me about this aspect of caucuses. One of the things we hear um, is that even though there are fewer caucuses than there ha ever have been in the United States, it's that the, the organizational ground game is critical. Like having people give speeches at these precinct sites for you, for for your candidate, is, is pretty critical? It is. Um, every candidate is allowed to have a speaker speak on their behalf at a caucus location. There are 1,600 precincts uh, across the state of Iowa there aren't uh, 1,600 caucus sites because some caucus sites are combined. Um, but at oh. every caucus site, uh, a, a candidate can have a representative speak. 
In some cases, the candidates themselves even show up and speak, and that is allowed as well. Uh, and there are undecided caucus goers in that room. And there are people that even maybe change their mind in the room uh, based on mm. uh, the argument made as to why they are maybe best suited to take on Joe Biden in November's general election, or maybe why uh, they ought to be the candidate uh, that um, has a maybe head-to-head -head shot against Donald Trump to be the standard bearer of the Republican Party, or why they're best on, you know, issue du jour that they think it matters the most to Iowa caucus goers. And so the organization is really critical for campaigns to make certain that they have someone who is uh, prepared and ready to deliver an effective speech on caucus night, but also to, to make certain that you don't have anyone waiver that you know is already committed to you. Right. Um, and, and so, um, it, again, there isn't any realignment, but you want to make sure that they cast that ballot for you um, in your caucus site. How and many people, it, though, do you, how many people, though, do you think are still really on the fence, though? Like polls haven't really reflected the undecideds. But at these town halls that we Fox News hosted this past week, most of the people asking questions said they were on the fence. And I was like, oh, goodness, it, it, it sounds like there are plenty of people who are, are not quite decided. Um, I would offer this. The former president has an incredibly high floor and it's really difficult to ever find a soft Trump supporter. They tend to be very committed. But for those that are looking for a candidate not named Donald Trump, uh, hmm. I, I do think there is some opportunity for persuasion. Um, and so that's why I really think the organizations in particular of um, Governor DeSantis and Ambassador Haley, because they are locked in a, a, a close force race for second place, is going to be really critical on caucus night, especially when you consider that wind chill. You want to make sure everyone is going to be very motivated to get out. And, you know, to the extent that someone might need a ride to caucus night or, you know, might need a, a drop off at the door as opposed to having to park and walk because they're concerned about, um, you know, a, a block long walk or ice on the ground or something they don't want to sure. slip, you can coordinate and make sure that that happens. Who do you think has done it best so far? Like the Fox News power rankings that came out this past week said that Trump had a sophisticated turnout operation, 1,800 caucus captains who were told to recruit first-time caucus goers. But then you've got DeSantis. He's done, you know, the full grassley right? All 99 counties, and he's in second place. But Nikki Haley put in less time and effort in Iowa. She really split time in New Hampshire, and yet she's still neck and neck with DeSantis, at least if you believe the polls. So when you look at all these, and Vivek, I mean, he, he'll have like four, four events in a day in Iowa, because um, I, I can see it on, on, the, you know, on the event calendar. Who do you think's done it best so far in terms of the organizational game? First, kudos to Vivek, because I believe he's done the full grass league twice now uh, in oh. the state of <laughs> Iowa, um, and that's extremely impressive. Um, in, in terms of the organization built, far and away, uh, former President Trump's campaign, in my view, uh, has done the best. That's a, partially a product of the fact that they've been organizing here for the better part of eight years and are two-time mm -hmm. uh, Republican nominee for president already. That brings a, a lot of institutional advantages, a lot of access to data that the other candidates uh, don't have or are trying to, to catch up to. Uh, but they have built a juggernaut in terms of organization. You referenced their their precinct captain uh, roster, and it is impressive. I will also say Never Back Down and Governor DeSantis have done a incredible job of organizing. Uh, I'm told that they have a caucus captain for every single site in the state of Iowa. In a normal year, without a former president on the ballot with you, that's the gold standard uh, for a caucus organization, to have someone 
ready to go, aligned with you in every single uh, caucus location across the state to deliver that speech, to organize your voters, uh, et cetera. Ambassador Haley has gone about it a bit different. She hasn't, uh, that I've seen, invested nearly as heavy in an organization as the other two candidates I, I previously mentioned, Trump and DeSantis. Um, and so I think we're going to find out on caucus night if uh, a more national campaign strategy with plentiful visits of on, on cable news, like Fox News, of course, that Republicans tune into, plus good uh, debate moments that Ambassador Haley has enjoyed, if that's enough to power her through uh, to secure a second place finish uh, on caucus night, or if perhaps she's um, looking back thinking what might have been if they would have invested a little bit more in an organization. Okay, just a couple more for you. I want your thoughts on this. The, the Never Back Down pack for DeSantis has staffers and people door knocking, as you know. Haley's got a super pack, but after the Coke Network endorsement, we heard that they would be handling a lot of ground game type issues, you know, door knocking and stuff. Have we seen super PACs, which are not supposed to coordinate with campaigns, take on like a new level of importance in this cycle in, in doing actual campaigning? It seems like the prevalence of super PACs and the way candidates use them um has fundamentally changed this this cycle um the the um you know they're, they're certainly not coordinating that would be against the law uh but it, it seems as if they're getting um slightly closer if you will uh to the point where you know, candidates are, are riding on buses that um are, are funded and paid for by super PACs uh super PACs are um you know knocking on doors on candidates behalf I'll I'll share my own door has been knocked uh, six times by various uh, super PACs over the past uh, several months. Uh, huh. And and so certainly uh, traditional organizing is being outsourced to super PACs. Um, you know, whether or not that makes a difference uh, for Iowans, I think we're going to find out on uh, on caucus night if they, they truly care. My sense is that um, this is a a matter that really the um, you know, FEC is going to have to decide upon because uh, from a voter standpoint um, here in Iowa, it just feels like organization under a different name. You know, Jimmy, we, we've seen issues with caucuses in the past, right? In 2012, it was the, the Republicans had, the, had a close race, and Jeff Kaufman, your Iowa GOP chair, said it was called too soon. And then 2016, there was beef on the Democratic side, right, that Bernie Sanders felt like it, it was too close and, and that wasn't handled well. And so in 2020, the, the Democrats decided they would announce, like, multiple different numbers and uh, out of, you know, multiple different outcomes uh, um, before realignment, after realignment, right? And then they used this app, and that didn't really work well, and so there was a big uh, stink about that. When we look at sort of caucuses in general, I know the Republicans will say, well, look, ours have gone much more smoothly, right, than than Democrats, but um, but the, the, the view, I guess, of caucuses overall how do you feel about this moving forward? I know that you guys have to make the case again, right, in in three years. Um, I guess, is it to your benefit or to the Republican side's benefit that Democrats aren't having a, a, their, a traditional caucus <laughs> uh, at the same time as you guys? I wouldn't call it a benefit per se. I would just simply uh, say that the Republicans' caucus is far simpler than uh the past Democratic caucuses, far simpler. 
It is a, uh, a simple straw poll vote in the caucus room that's extremely transparent, as I outlined before, with the tabulations being observed by anyone who wants to watch them, uh, and then reported in front of the room um, to make certain that uh, the correct results are, are reported in either via the app or by phone call to the Iowa GOP. And furthermore, then the folks can go onto the website and look to see um, that the, the uh, tabulations were uh, correctly reported to the Iowa GOP. The Iowa GOP and Chairman Kaufman have done a tremendous amount of work over the past several years leading up to this one night, this one moment. And so I have every confidence that uh, the caucus is going to go smoothly uh, because of all of the safeguards that they've put in place. What is your sense of what's driving voters right now? Um, the Chairman Coffin was telling us he thinks it's like a mix, that it's not just like people being head over heels necessarily for a candidate. Like some are motivated against President Biden and some are more afraid, he said, than he's ever seen specifically about the border. What, what's, I guess, jumping off from that, what's your sense of where voters are? My sense is that uh, the top issue on Republican caucus goers' minds is who can beat Joe Biden. We've seen ample amounts of polling that demonstrates that the president uh, is vulnerable come November. And Republicans across the state of Iowa are making a calculation and casting their caucus vote based on who they think is not only best suited to be the Republican standard bearer, but also who can take back the White House. Jimmy Centers, principal and co-founder of Cornerstone Public Affairs. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. The knives are out between and among the candidates. While former President Trump is on top in the polls, he's told his supporters in Iowa not to take it for granted to get out and vote. Meanwhile, the president's campaign trail was not in the early voting states this past week. It was in court in Manhattan. I'm involved in is set up by Biden. They're doing it for election interference. And in a way, I guess you'd consider it part of the campaign, because if you really look at it, they are doing this. It's never been done like this in this country. It's like we're a third world country, a banana republic. But on a hot mic, Chris Christie was heard after dropping out of the presidential race, saying former South Carolina Governor Nick Haley is going to get smoked. Former President Trump said at the Fox News town hall on Wednesday that he agreed with Christie for once. Still, Haley's only climbing in the polls, even eclipsing Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, just enough to be in second place, not just nationally, not just in New Hampshire, but in Iowa as well. The two were the final to remain on the debate stage. This one was hosted by CNN in Iowa Wednesday. If leadership's about getting things done, how did you blow through $150 million in your campaign and you were down in the polls? So Governor DeSantis, that, it's, Governor Haley's, it's, Haley, it's Governor Haley's time. Go ahead. I think I hit a nerve. Well, one good rule of thumb. If she says she's never said something, that definitely means she said it. And then she'll say, you're lying, you're lying. That means not only did she say it, but she's on videotape saying it. As Haley and DeSantis do get out possibly for second former president trump has asked his supporters to go caucus even if polling favors him by wide margins polling that has favored him throughout really the whole year 
and has only grown as legal charges have piled up against him. We're starting to actually see some movement for a race that has been remarkably stable throughout much of this past year. We're starting to see some movement. Josh Krausauer is our Fox News Radio political analyst, and he will be joined shortly by Fox News Radio's Washington, D.C. correspondent and political anchor Jared Halpern. Uh, the the sort of the, the, the more traditional, more moderate Republican voters seem to have moved to her corner. Ron DeSantis, despite his vaunted organization, despite the super PAC money that, that has gone into Iowa for, for, for the last few months, uh, doesn't seem to be uh, really getting any steam. He may be actually losing support to Donald Trump in the final final week or two of the caucuses. Mm. So there are two things. The two things I'm watching is does Nikki Haley come in second place? Uh, if she does, I think that's a good good number for her and it gives her momentum into New Hampshire. And the other big question I have um, is do, does Donald Trump get above 50 percent of, of, of the caucus vote? Because yeah. if he does, it shows he, he as we've known all along, is a formidable uh, incumbent like candidate and has his own you know, dominant hold over a, a very significant share of the yeah. Republican electorate. Looking to see if this was a foregone conclusion all along. Jared, it's cold in Iowa. The high on Monday is in the negatives, below zero. Mm -hmm. I was speaking to Iowa Republican strategist, a PR company founder, Jimmy Senders, who used to work with Iowa's governor, Kim Reynolds, and he basically said, as long as there's not an actual storm, Iowans will go out. It's a Monday in January. Are you buying that? Listen, I, I've talked to some of our radio friends at WHO in Des Moines as well, and they were like, it's a dry cold. It'll be fine. <laughs> Here's the number I am looking at. Negative 40. Negative 40, Jess, is the temperature at which no. Celsius and Fahrenheit meet one another. <laughs> <laughs> and as they are looking at record wind chills now on Monday. Now, the weather seems to be OK, right? There's a blizzard that passed through this weekend. That should be cleared out. It should be, at least from like a getting around standpoint, pretty easy, I guess, all things considered on Monday. But it is going to be as cold as maybe they have ever seen for a caucus mm. or, or maybe ever in Iowa. So I do think that at a certain point that has a turnout connection. Caucuses, yeah. remember, are so different than primaries. You can't just show up any time between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., cast your ballot and get home and get in front of that fire. You have to be at your precinct at that specific time. It takes a little bit of time. You're not just in and out. Uh, you have to park in a parking lot, walk in a building, and it could be, you know, 15, 20, 25 below wind chill. Heaven forbid that 40 degree number where Celsius and Fahrenheit oh meet. So I think that there is something to be said about how committed caucus goers are for their chosen candidate. Well, thanks for taking me back to ninth grade science. Um, Josh, Jared's <laughs> saying we haven't seen they might have not seen cold like this. Have we seen anything quite like this race? A former president running for president again. And the drama, if you believe the polling is this this fight for second place? Yeah, well, look, this is one of the most anticlimactic uh, <laughs> Iowa caucuses in, 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 that, that's competitive, in, you know, in, in, in my lifetime. Uh, and uh, it's just, you're just not you know, you're not seeing the same degree of coverage uh, uh, of, of what is typically the kickoff to uh, yeah. to the presidential campaign season. I think a lot more people are going to be talking even in Iowa about the Chiefs Dolphins game in the cold than they are <laughs> about an expected Trump win in, in the state. I do want to jump on what Jared said, though, because I do think it's a fa about the weather and, and how it actually could be a factor in, in, in the results on Monday. Uh, look, if, if it's negative 40 wind chill, uh, will you want to 
drive out to to your local like high school and caucus if you're not as committed politically um and i think you're going to see lower you know somewhat lower turnout uh than in the past and look the question is who how does that break out who does it help who does it hurt i, I you know i don't have an answer to that i will say that the polls show that donald trump's supporters are more committed than DeSantis and, and, and Haley supporters, if you believe the numbers. But at the same time, his base of support is especially concentrated throughout the small counties and the rural parts of Iowa, yeah. which, may, you know, much of the state. But you may have to take more time to get to a caucus site if you're further outside the city. And that also could, you know, if it's if it's if it's cold, if we just saw this, we're seeing this blizzard take place over the weekend, you know, maybe that would dampen the turnout in the rural parts of the of the state, which are predominantly Trump precincts. Okay, one person who doesn't have to worry about Iowa anymore is Chris Christie, uh, dropped out. He said he wasn't worried about Iowa before he dropped out. <laughs> right, true. <laughs> Let, he said he said before he dropped out. Let's say I dropped out and support Nikki Haley, and then three or four months from now she comes out as his vice president. What will I look like? What will all the people who supported her at my behest look like? Notably, he dropped out without endorsing her. Right, and then the, mm -hmm. caught on this hot mic saying she's going to get smoked. Even so, even with all of that. I'm guessing if his dropping out helps anyone, it's her. It's Nikki Haley. Right, Jared? Uh, it, that certainly looks, especially in New Hampshire, to be the case. That yeah. We have seen polling that, that has suggested that of those who were supporting Chris Christie, their second choice uh, was Nikki Haley. And I think you can kind of look at their records. You can look at the way they've been running these campaigns. And that would seem to be the most natural fit for uh, that, that universe of Christie supporters. I was not surprised that Chris Christie did not come out and endorse anybody. And he kind of spoke to that when he gave that, that yeah. lengthy uh, dropout speech. He feels really burned by his endorsement of Donald Trump uh, in the 2016 cycle. He spoke oh, a point. lot about that. He spoke a lot about how he wants the Republican Party and leaders in the Republican Party to speak out more about Trump. And he has not seen that from DeSantis or Haley. So the fact that he has not yet chosen to endorse, uh, I think, fits with kind of how he feels about his party right now. Yeah, that makes sense. Josh, um, DeSantis and Haley really went after each other heading into into Monday, right? They had that debate Wednesday night, and it was just like a nonstop, no, you're lying, no, you're lying. You lied, Hillary Clinton inspired you. you. No, you lied about banning fracking. Well, you like Chinese businesses. Well, you blew through all your campaign cash. Does any of that stick, or is it noise? And if you were the kind of Republican who liked Nikki Haley anyway, you were going to hear like this debate and these back and forth and be like, hmm, now I like DeSantis more, right? People who like Haley or like DeSantis aren't crossovers. Yeah, well, I mean, th there is some crossover in the sense that there are, there's a faction of the DeSantis supporters who want someone other than Trump. DeSantis does draw more from the, the white collar uh, voters a little more than, than does Trump. And so does Nikki Haley, though they're different slices of that, that college-educated electorate. Um, but look, I watched that some of that debate. I, I thought it was very uh, problematic for both candidates, frankly. Ron DeSantis came across as peevish. You know, he didn't, he doesn't, you know, this is a big problem. He doesn't have a lot of charisma. He doesn't have, you know, he, he has a command of the facts, a command of his argument, but right. he just does not come across well in, in these televised forums. That's why he, he's been, you know, having trouble gaining traction uh, in, in polls. So it just, I, I, you know, I thought he, he came across as overly negative, peevish, even though he, you know, and he was on the attack most of the time. I think he did score some blows, though, against Nikki Haley, who's done well at these these larger debates, but had, a, I think, a little harder of a time 
kind of sustaining the whole two hour, <laughs> sustaining the sort of a, a num number of talking points throughout the whole two hour debate. Yeah. And she was caught off guard, I think, on a number of occasions. So I don't think it helped either of the candidates. Donald Trump was doing, I think, a pretty good job on Fox <laughs> uh, talking to Brad and Martha uh, and, and holding that front runner position. And look, if I'm Nikki Haley, I don't know what, you know, I, I think you're right, Jess. They both kind of reminded voters uh, kind of what they're all about. But I don't, I don't think that debate helped Haley at all. And I certainly don't think it helped Ron DeSantis. Mm. Jared, I know you've been tracking what President Biden's been up to because I guess two Fridays ago now and then mm -hmm. last Monday, um, so about a week ago, um, he kind of launched his campaign anew right in 2024 with these new campaign speeches. And it seems like, you know, we've got former President Trump's language saying things like the blood of America is poisoned by the migrant crisis. His opponents are vermin. Um, the January 6th people are hostages who, who were arrested. Biden took that and said... You know, this language is reminiscent of Nazi Germany. Officers who died after January 6th died because of Trump's lies. This is all very stark and dramatic language. And it sounds like the president's campaign is going to be treating Trump not as uh, not as like a regular candidate, but but as more of a threat. One of the things that the Biden campaign is looking to do is make this a campaign about more than just policy disputes, because uh, the campaign believes that this is bigger than just policy disputes. Now, listen, you're going to see the president talk about the economy, talk about uh, immigration, talk about climate change and gun control and, and all of those policy issues that are important to, to him and important to Democrats. But the case that they are trying to make, especially to uh, maybe more swingy suburban voters, to independent voters, to maybe soft R voters or that never Trump group of Republicans, is that there is more at stake here than just policy differences, that what uh, former President Trump represents uh, as a candidate uh, is dangerous in their view. And that needs to be something that voters take into account as they try and make their choice. I will say this, too. I have not seen President Biden as sort of energetic and as animated on the campaign trail as he was uh, at that speech in Pennsylvania near Valley Forge when he talks about Trump. He really seems to have another Trump gear, if you will, uh, <laughs> when he levels these types of attacks. Uh, increasingly, that is going to be, I think, what we see from President Biden, at least at the campaign events. Um, we had seen kind of snippets of it in these closed door or at least off camera uh, fundraisers when he was speaking to, to donors and, and supporters. I will be interested to see how frequently he does those types of events uh, in, in the uh, weeks and in, in months ahead, uh, because th this campaign, the, the Biden-Harris campaign, really is running as if Trump is, is sort of the foregone conclusion for the yeah. Republican nominee. All right. Finally, Josh, briefly, your assessment of the campaigns. Nikki's had some gaffes, you know, not saying slavery when asked what caused the Civil War, telling New Hampshire voters, you know, they're going to correct Iowa's vote. DeSantis's campaign, as you've already noted, has had some issues, the super PACs. Uh, running out of people <laughs> uh, and money. And and Trump has been, what, campaigning basically in New York after his civil fraud trial wrapped up, holding a press conference at, at 40 Wall Street. I mean, these campaigns are, are of note. <laughs> this is going to be a strange campaign, and it, it's one that we may be spending more time in the courtroom than the campaign trail uh, mm -hmm. as, as developments warrant. But 
Uh, look, the big story, uh, Trump Trump is the front runner by 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 a healthy margin, but Nikki Haley could be the story uh if not out of Iowa, certainly out of New Hampshire. And you can see the path. You can see sort of, you know, it's like as a football fan, you know, when your team is close to the playoffs and you're looking at the schedule and you see how, you know, uh, an opportunity to to get some momentum opens up. That's what Nikki, if Nikki Haley comes in second place in Iowa, a state she did not spend as much money and put as much time in until the very end. And then she wins New Hampshire, which, you know, polls show that with that's where the Chris Christie impact, by the way, is going to have a, an effect in New Hampshire because Chris Christie was getting 10 percent of the All vote, right. double digits. So the, that that vote goes to Nikki Haley. She could be neck and neck with Donald Trump. And what's the next big state on the primary calendar a, a month later? South Carolina, her home right. state. Uh, that that if she, you know, she certainly could win her home state if she wins New Hampshire. And it's, we, we, we talk about her and her her comeback uh, in, in politics uh, like we did with Bill Clinton in 1992 and like we've done with other underdogs in, in political history. So, look, she's still the underdog. She's still uh, well behind Donald Trump. But you can see, you know, the p potential of a Trump defeat in New Hampshire to Nikki Haley. And you can see South Carolina being a very fortuitous state as the next big one uh, on the calendar. So, look, the, if this race becomes a real race for the primary, it, it's Nikki Haley that we're going to be talking about and watching. Fox News Radio's political analyst Josh Krauthauer and Washington, D.C. correspondent and Fox News political anchor Jared Halpern. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining. Thanks, Thanks guys. Jess. That'll do it for the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Tomorrow is caucus day, and we bring you more coverage from Iowa with national and local analysis of the Republican race. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Thanks for listening to the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.